Man, it's awesome to see you. Thank you guys so much for being with us this Wednesday night. Hey, my name is Jason. If it's your first time, I am our discipleship pastor here at Tomoka. And look, I'm just excited to be back. I get a second shot at this. The first time must have went okay. Y'all didn't throw anything at me. You didn't boo me, even though Cord told you to. Thanks, Cord. Um, but here we are. And so grateful for a second go around. And, and look, this is kind of like our second date, if we're honest, right? And I think there's some things that go along with that, that... Um, that we can be honest with each other tonight because it, it's our second. We got some history and, and, and we're going to extend some grace. So I'm going to give you grace. You're going to give me grace. And let's just pursue together what God has in store for us. And so, you know, I, honestly, when, when, when Cord texts me about tonight, um, I was, I'm always grateful when I get to preach about Jesus. I'm always thankful for that opportunity. Um, when he sent me the text... You know, I, I was even more excited, but a little apprehensive because I get the joy and the honor of talking about the second most crucial aspect of our faith. You know, the, the, the first is love God. Does anybody know what the second is? Love people, right? So I get to talk about what it means to love people. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify this loving people piece. I'm not talking about the Sunday morning you got your Sunday best, you're looking good, your family's looking good, everybody's happy, kind of love. You know, where you guys are almost strangling each other in the car ride there, but when you get to church, everybody's good. Oh, brother, it's good to see you, brother, I love you, man. Not that kind of love. No, that, that's surface love. We got that everywhere in the world. What I'm going to talk about tonight is the messy love. How do you love people you disagree with? How do you love people that, frankly, you struggle with? The down and dirty kind of love that's really hard to do. And so I'm, um, I'm excited to jump into this, but this is a message that comes with a warning label. And here's your disclaimer. Like, I, I don't write the mail. I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. And so wherever we find ourselves in this book, I want you to look it up for yourself. See what scripture says. What does Jesus model? And look, if you want to have a further conversation about where we go, this evening, just give me a call. Always happy to grab coffee. So, hey, I'm going to pray. We're going to jump in and start with Jesus. Sound good? Cool. About five people are ready to rock. That's awesome. Let's go. <clears throat> God, um, God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your abundance. Most of all, thank you for your love and the opportunity we have to dive in, to understand that more. God, speak to our hearts, mine especially, on this topic because it's not easy. And God, we thank you for the call, and we also thank you for the help to do it along the way. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, and I, you know, I'm going to start with Jesus because, well, you always should start with Jesus. But one thing, one thing I loved about Jesus is how radical he really was. Like he, Jesus shows up on the scene and what he said and what he did was absolutely radical to a lot of people as he still does today. And, you know, one of those ways was with the Jewish People, You see, they had to abide by, I want to say it's around 613 laws, 613 commandments. So Jesus shows up not to abolish those, but to fulfill them and say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make it easy. How about two? Two. I want you to focus on two. We're going to keep things simple. And those two are love God, love people, love God, love people. My translation, of course. But here's what he says in Matthew 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. 
And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, it's kind of like pedaling a bike. It's how you make progress. You love God, you love people. You love God, you love people. If you spend all your time loving God, you kind of look like a one-legged bicyclist. A little awkward. The same thing if all you do is love people and you're not loving God. And, and you don't have to be in church very long before you start to hear this message. I, I, I hope this isn't news for you. I hope this isn't foreign. Like, I think in all fairness, we, we grasp what it means to love God. I mean, sure, we can all grow in that, yours truly included. We grasp what it means to read our Bible, to pray, to meditate, to spend time with God, to spend time in that relationship. We, we, we can at least grab a hold of that. That makes sense. That makes sense. But it's, it's the loving people that gets incredibly tough when we get down to it. I mean, in theory, it makes sense. It's great to read scripture and love, you love your neighbors yourself. And if you've got great neighbors, that's easy to do. But what about the neighbors that aren't so great? You know, and, and being that it's one of the most challenging aspects of our faith, here's why. Because you are a challenge. I'm a challenge. I am probably the most challenging person in this room. You can ask my wife. She's sitting right there. She'll tell you. We're a challenge. And we're even more challenging to love. And it seems like as this world just continues to downward spiral, people get even harder and harder to love. The more divided we become, the more polarized we are. And it is so rare these days to find anything that resembles a civil conversation between two people who disagree. Between two people who are mad at each other. Anybody watch the Oscars? I didn't, but I saw what happened. But that's a picture of how our world handles things. And it's sad. And what makes it even more sad is the fact that those things actually happen in church. And so I want to I spend a couple minutes just laying a foundation. And I want to look at a couple of questions. These are just really reflection questions. You don't have to answer them out loud. But they're meant for you to kind of chew on for a minute. And the first one is simply this. I want to ask you, when it comes to this idea of loving other people, is the church, the big C church, not just Tomoka, is the church known more for what it's for or what it's against? Is the church known more for what it's for or what it's against? And so uh, a couple months ago, I was on this stage and shared some numbers. And, 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 and one of those numbers was here in Ormond, there's 28,110 people who are not connected to a Jesus-centered community. So when, when one of those 28,110 people drive by Tomoka Christian Church, are we known more for what we're for or what we're against? Are we known for an abundant love? No matter where people have been. No matter what people have done, no matter where they are, are we known for that? I mean, I think it's an honest question we really need to ask ourselves. And, and it's crucial because, you know, one of the beautiful parts of the gospel is that Jesus loves us in spite of us. Right? Like, like, like I don't know about you, but I know Jesus loves me in spite of me. Because I know myself, I've been to some pretty dark places. 
I've been to some pretty nasty places. I've been to places that frankly, if I stood on this stage and told you about, you would never see me again. And yet in spite of all of that and knowing all of that, Jesus loves me anyway. And so before we jump into the text, I just, I think I I need to, to make sure our halos aren't shining a little too bright tonight. Okay. And so one of the ways we're going to do that is I want to look at a few examples. I want to look at a few examples of people that in the past, the church has really wrestled with how to love well. But again, we're going to have some grace for each other and I'm going to need you to be honest with me and I'm going to be honest with you. And so we're going to start out this self-reflection time, not condemnation time. We're going to start out with an easy one. Politics. Politics. Are you able to engage in a civil conversation with somebody who voted differently than you? Or when you're driving down the road, when somebody jumps in front of you that has a bumper sticker with the candidate you didn't vote for, what are the thoughts that you have in that moment? I've been there. Or, you know, here's another one. What about people of other religions? Islam or Hinduism? You know, if a couple walks into our church and maybe the woman's wearing a hijab, which is like the Islam face covering and all that, how, how would we respond in that moment to them when they walk into the church? Or maybe you have a coworker. Maybe you have a coworker that's of a different religion or has a different beliefs. In those conversations, what are those conversations like with them? Are you building barriers or building bridges? Are those conversations more about being right or showing Jesus. Now we're going to get a little tougher. How about abortion? You know, I get it. It absolutely breaks my heart. It is one of the most gross atrocities in our world today. And we absolutely need to fight this with everything we have in our being. These babies are worth it. But in being so against the act, are we losing sight of the fact that there is a woman caught in the middle, desperately needing God's healing, God's forgiveness, and God's hope? And I'm going to go ahead and just save the best for last. How about homosexuality? Is the church known for loving this community? If a gay couple walks in and holding hands, how would we respond? How would, how would you respond if they're sitting in your seats? You know, I'm, um, I'm not trying to stir the hornet's nest, honestly. But I think these are pertinent things that we've got to talk about. Because as our world continues to spiral out of control, as our world continues to go haywire, we've got to better know how to approach this world and love them. Because the truth is, we pray for revival, right? We want revival. We want to see Ormond Beach come to Jesus. We want to see this country get back to Jesus. We pray for that. We pray to reach the lost. 
We want to see that baptismal run dry because we're running so many people through it. We want that to happen. We pray for the bondage of sin to be broken. And so if we're praying for those things, why should we be surprised when those people show up at our front door? And when they do, the question I'm posing to you tonight is how do we approach it? Are we ready? Are we going to be known for showing them love? Are we going to be known as a church, as a place for hope and healing, not judgment and condemnation? God didn't expect us to get our act together before we met him. So why do oftentimes we expect others to get their act together before they can meet Jesus? And, and I need you to, to really lean in for a moment. As I speak to you on this, I'm speaking to me. Because there are people in my life that I struggle to love. There are people in my life I struggle to want the best for. There are people that I struggle with showing this radical, intentional love that Jesus commanded us to do. And please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. I believe with all my heart that as Christians, we have got to make a stand. Cord so eloquently put it on Sunday in his sermon. If you didn't see it, go watch it because it's powerful. We have to make a stand. We have to stand for the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. We have to make a stand for the value of human life, especially a baby. We have to make a stand for healthy families and women's rights and sexual purity because if we don't, who will? But how do you do that in an increasingly hostile culture. A culture that makes up its own rules, its own, and lives its own lives for pleasure. You do it in love, especially for those who believe differently than us. Only pointed, intentional love can break the bondage of sin. And we have to allow God's spirit and God's word to change people's lives, not our opinions. And at the end of the day, loving people doesn't affirm their actions. Loving people doesn't affirm their actions. And that's what Jesus modeled over and over and over in this book. And that's what we're going to dig into um, here in 1 John. You know, John, I'm grateful that I get to preach about John because John and I, we got a lot of similarities. You see, John, as we see him today writing 1 John, he is, he's been through some things. He is an old, wise sage, kind of like Cord. He's just, he's, he's got a lot of wisdom. Sorry, buddy. Um, but he didn't start out that way. You know, John, John was a hothead. I mean, he was one of the sons of thunder. Like, you don't get that nickname by dancing in a flower field. Like, you know, there was a time where him and Jesus and the boys, they were in a village. And the village didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. So what did John do? Jesus, why don't you call down fire and burn this puppy down? Like, that was John's loving people. 
You know, in another place, John, you know, they, these people are baptizing and they're not part of our crew. Jesus, you need to kick them out. Like, that's how John loved people. He was a hothead. But it's amazing, you know, as he walked with, walked with God and, and matured over the years, John went from that to being known as the apostle of, of love. Um, and that's what we're going we're gonna to kind of jump into tonight. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, go ahead and turn with me. We'll put it up on the screen if you don't. But we're going to take a look at 1 John 3, 11 through 24. And so John starts out, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Anybody got that on their coffee mug? Okay. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Man, that's tough. You know, one thing that hit me when I first read that was that that God cares more about what's in your heart than he cares about what's in your hand. God cares more about what's in your heart than he cares what's in your hand. And that's why Johnny references Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. You see, Cain and Abel, they were the first two children uh, born to Adam and Eve. They were two sons. And, and see, they grew up and they, the, as the story goes, they presented their first fruits to God. They presented their first fruits to God. They modeled that then. It's something we should do now. But they bring this offering to the Lord. And as the story goes, that God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. And it doesn't say a whole lot on why outside of the fact that Cain didn't have a good heart. That Cain harbored bitterness. He harbored hatred. He harbored jealousy, which ultimately led him to murdering his brother. And it just goes to show we can do a lot of good things. We can show up to church. We can give some money. We can serve people. We can read our Bible. But if our heart is bent towards hatred, it leads to death. And that's why this issue of forgiving others is so critical and it's so crucial. Because the inability to love and the inability to forgive only leads to death. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's in our hearts? You know, John, he he, he goes on, he says, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. I mean, like you do recognize walking with Jesus, people will hate you. And it's not something to be surprised about. We shouldn't be shocked at the where our world is turning right now. It shouldn't be a surprise. And as crazy as it sounds, when you show Jesus's radical, intentional love, not everybody's on board with it. I mean, just look at worldwide persecution. If you want your world rocked and you really want your faith put in check, go to YouTube and and watch the documentary Sheep Among Wolves. And it's hard to stomach, but it will challenge your faith in an incredible way. Because you know what? It shows people living in the most horrific conditions. In Iran, in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. People that have went there as missionaries to serve and to love a people group who hate them. 
And that's powerful. And I do feel compelled to say that at the end of the day, self-inflicted wounds don't count. Self-inflicted wounds don't count. Getting on Facebook and spouting our opinion on certain issues and getting pushback doesn't count as persecution. If you're going to be hated, be hated for loving people radically. And when you take a stand, take a stand. It's good to take a stand, but God cares how you take a stand. That's what's important. Because at the end of the day, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to point people to Jesus. The goal has to be to point people to Jesus. And so that's where John, he he continues on. In verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, that we ought to lay our life down our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not talk, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let us not talk, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, an old friend of mine taught me a saying, When I was a brand new Christian, he said, Jason, don't talk about it, be about it. Don't talk about it, be about it. Real love isn't a feeling, it's an action. You know, it's like the old saying goes, talk is cheap. How we respond to people we disagree with matters. How we serve others, how we give to others matters. Do we put our wallets where our mouth is? Because it matters. The fruit of our lives is measured in action, not in word. And that's exactly what John is saying right here. And that's why he brings up Jesus in the cross. There is no greater action than Jesus dying for a bunch of people who hate him. I mean, what was his last words from the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Crying out for forgiveness for people who despised him. And in doing so, Jesus laid an example for us to follow. Because in sacrifice, we find blessing. It's in death that we find life and it's in the struggle that we find healing. And so as Christians, don't just talk about it. We got to be about it. We love in deed and in truth. And then John, he he closes out this section. He starts out, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth. By this, by this, by what? By our actions and how we love in deed or truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. We have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. 
You know, whenever our heart condemns us, whenever we're feeling a certain way, God is greater than our feelings. You know, we have a saying around our house that my wife absolutely can't stand, but it's fun to say, and it's feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. Feelings are indicators, but feelings aren't facts. And at the end of the day, look, I'll be honest, conviction's not fun. I don't enjoy conviction. I don't like feeling conviction. But God has shown me on multiple occasions through conviction that I need to make a shift. And there's times because of how I'm feeling. And I know it's probably weird to hear a pastor say this, but I told you, I'm going to be honest with you. There's times where I feel like I'm not living this out very well. But again, feelings aren't facts. And even in those moments where we're struggling with how we love people, when our heart isn't in a good place, when we're wrestling with the ability to be able to forgive or to love, God is greater. God is greater. And that's what I love about how he wraps this section up. He says, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. It's right where we begin. Believe in God and love others. That God's love is greater and the only way to show God's love is through action. You know, there's a, an incredible author um, that I like. His name's Paul Quello, And he had a powerful statement. You may have seen some, somewhere along the line. But the world is changed by your example, not your opinion. Man, I don't know about y'all, but that grabs me deep. And the real question is how? How do you do it? How do you love those around you? Especially those that you disagree with. Well, truth and church, look, if you forget every word I say, if you can just remember one sentence, it would be this. That when people are seen, when people are heard, they feel valued. When people are seen, when people are heard, they feel valued. Do people leave your conversation feeling valued? There's power in I see you, I hear you, and I value you as a child of God. Because that's what Jesus did. Whether it was the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the least of these, Jesus valued people. Now, when this this kind of came face to face with me, um, and I'll be honest, it's probably one of my favorite moments as a pastor. A little while ago at a different church, I was standing in the back church had let out and the people were leaving and, um, a gentleman walks up to me, shakes my hand, introduced himself. His name's Jeff. So I look at Jeff. I'm like, Hey man, it's good to meet you. He said, it's his first time here. Awesome. Are you new to the area? Are you looking for a new church? And he just said, you know what? Um, I haven't been to church in about three decades. Okay, that's awesome, man. So glad you're here. I'm the campus pastor. Love to help you. Anything you need, just let me know. Okay, great. Shook my hand and started to walk away. Okay, Jeff Jeff walked about 10 feet from me. He turns around. And he's got tears running down his cheek. Jeff walks over to me. I'll never forget this moment. He says, I'm gay. Am I welcome here? And without missing a beat, 
the biggest smile came over my face. And I looked at him and I responded with, I am so excited you are here today. And I got to just commend you for the fact that it had to take everything inside of you to get dressed and get in your car to drive to this church. It had to take a lot to get out of that car and walk into a building full of people that you didn't know if you were even welcome at. And so I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. Here's my card. You ever want to grab coffee, you let me know. I'll buy us coffee. I gave him my card and walked away. About two weeks later, I get a phone call from Jeff. He tucks me up on this offer. And so I got to sit down with Jeff. And I got to hear Jeff's story. I got to hear about a a boy that endured sexual abuse from a young age. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, which would later turn into spiritual abuse from those in the church. And, and, and Jeff didn't use those as an excuse to explain why he is where he is today. That's just what he had endured. And in that moment, I didn't need to sit across from Jeff and show him Romans 1 and, and take him for a study in the Bible of all the places where sexual morality is bad. He didn't need that. Jeff knew his sin. He didn't need me to tell him. What Jeff needed was to be seen, to be heard. And to feel valued. We had an incredible time for that two hours. It was amazing. And we left our time. And I'd see Jeff at church. And it was two months later. I got the incredible honor and privilege. Of going out into the Atlantic Ocean. And baptizing him into Jesus. And that's what matters. And I don't know if Jeff. We lost touch. And I don't know if Jeff turned his life around. I don't know what God's doing. Jeff may be a preacher now for all I know. I don't know. But what I know is this, is we're kingdom bearers. We are created in God's image. We are a royal priesthood. So when we as Christians look at people and help them feel valued, it shows that they matter to us. And when they matter to us, it shows they matter to a God above. And that's what's important. I just want to passionately pursue people in love, but it's not easy. And so I want to, I want to look at one more section. I want to close our time with this. The apostle Paul, um, amazing guy, amazing writer, amazing, um, Christ follower. And he wrote in first Corinthians 13, he says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and to understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, and endures 
all things. Church, just imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine with me for a moment how radically changed our world could be. How radically changed our families could be. How radically changed the church could be if we could just love like that. How incredible of an impact we could make if we put our names in these blanks. The Jason is patient and kind. The Jason does not envy or boast. The Jason is not arrogant or rude. The Jason does not insist on his own way. The Jason is not irritable or resentful. Jason does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That Jason bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I got to tell you, church, I am a long ways away from that. But by God's grace, every day, I want to grow more and more in what it means to love people, especially the hard ones. Because if we can just imagine the impact we can have. And look, I, I recognize that I probably said some things tonight that maybe um, made you uncomfortable. There might be some of you in the room that just strictly oppose what I said and don't agree with me. Um, in fact, I don't know. I might find myself in Joe or Cord's office first thing in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> But what I do know is this, that as a pastor, as a disciple, as a Christ follower, I will passionately fight for the broken, for the hurting, for the lost and the rejected with the love of Jesus Christ, because that's what he did for me. And that's what he did for you. Ormond Beach is waiting, church. There's 28,110 people waiting to see this radical, intentional love. There is 28,110 people who want to see this is real. And the only way for that to happen is when we get out there and we show them. Just imagine the impact we can have. It's our time, church. Let's go. God, I thank you. I thank you for your love. We couldn't earn, we couldn't deserve. God, for your goodness. I thank you for my story. I thank you for the stories in this room. I thank you for Jeff. And that God, you knew better. You knew we couldn't clean up our act. And yet you love us anyway and you give us your spirit. And so God, as we go from here, help us love more. Help us love boldly. Help us love the least of these. Help us love those that we disagree with, God. Help us. God, we lean on you to do what only you can do. But God, send us out of this building as your messengers. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name.